Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today on Betting Chicago, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. It is episodes five and six of The Last Dance. This one, we're going to be focusing just on episode five today. And how can I talk about it without bringing back my hoops honchos? Mike Choi, Aaron Hagel. Aaron Hagel, how are you, man? What's up, Joey? How you feeling today, brother? I'm doing good, man. I'm tossing dimes on the carpet. I'm, I'm having a great time. I'm raking cash. Uh, Mike, how are you feeling today? Man, you know, we saw the Sniff Brothers again, so I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> Every day there's a Sniff Brother is a good day to me, homie. So let's dive right in, you guys, and let's just start right at the top. Episode 5, in my personal opinion, by far, the best episode so far of Last Dance. Let's just go around the room with initial thoughts. We'll begin with you, Aaron Hagel. Do you agree or do you disagree? Best episode so far. Um, well, actually, I'm just going to throw it back to you real quick, Joey. I guess I want to hear your take. Why, why do you think it's the best one? Um, so we've been talking, and thank you so much if you've been listening to these Betting Chicago podcasts over the last couple of weeks. I think a lot of what we've been talking about is the concept of there's a lot of information that we've sort of already known, and it's a little bit about the story sort of catching up to this myth and this moment of all this extra footage that we were going to get a chance to see. And I thought episode five, bar none, packed in the most um, off the court, behind the scenes sound bites. I thought Mike was just on fire as he was in the clips. I thought the music was awesome. I thought to go from the Kobe element all the way backwards then to the dream team, Jordan just at the peak of his powers for that second title. Um, and just, I don't know, man, I, I last multiple times. There's tons of stuff that I never, ever knew about. I got to hear more Jordan stuff off the court than I ever thought I wanted to hear. And uh, I don't know. It was just, I thought it was just packed with information. Like I was on the edge of my seat. So Higgs, what'd you think? I, sorry. I thought that, trust uh, no, yeah, yeah. No, go for it. No, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it back to you. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I agree. Um, it was, there was a lot of stuff behind the scenes and Jordan kind of opening up a bit. Uh, for me, my favorite part for sure is the dream team part. I mean, you know, it's considered the best team of all time and those practices are considered legendary. And, you know, that, that, that practice where Jordan took over after Magic was taunting him about being Air Jordan, all this, and Michael came down and scored, what, the last, like, 12 buckets or something? And that was the moment where all these superstars and you know, the best basketball players in the world were like, oh, okay, yeah, he, he is the guy. He, he, he's the man. And that's when he took over and he took off from there. And that, I think ever since then, he's, he's been the best basketball player ever. Yeah, not just him winning on the court in the standard function of winning championships, but, oh, yeah, his last All-Star game, he goes out and wins MVP. The dream team, the best collection of all time. Oh, yeah, he goes out, and he wasn't a guy that was just like, I'm going to pass the ball to my teammates. Granted, he didn't lead the team in scoring during the actual game play. That went to Charles Barkley that year. But in those practices, he was like, I am the alpha dog. And then the other alpha dogs underneath him around the league bowed down on his feet. Mike, what did you think of the episode, episode five? I mean, I tend to be in agreement. I mean, this was uh, so far like my favorite episode. I know we kind of touched on it the last pod, but – I thought it was pretty poignant to kind of start off with uh, the Kobe element. You know, that was really touching. And it all, what was great is that it fit into the theme of the episode. So it was like a great, you know, uh, you know, double punch combo. Um, you know, I could have watched 
I, man, I could watch a whole series just based on his Nike deal and kind of his, his uh, uh, becoming transcendent uh, from a cultural standpoint. So yeah, it touched a lot. I actually, you know, it's, it's interesting because for me, I thought the dream team portion of it was, I mean, don't get me wrong. Again, I could watch hours upon hours of this stuff, but again, like ESPN, the, the same company that's putting on this doc, uh, you know, they did a more deep dive documentary on that topic. So, you know, all the other stuff. Yeah. I really, really love kind of the, the deeper dive that we, uh, that we got. And again, can I just say shout out to the music in this episode? I mean, they are killing, killing it. it with their music selections, right? Like choices yours by black sheep. If I ruled the world by Nas and Lauren, Lauren Hill, you know, I got it made by special ed uh, tribe called quest. Can I kick it? I mean, man, the music to this, docu-series is like it's 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 superb so let's start at the top um and i think what's so great about this episode too as well is i think there were more than just one amazing mj quotables so let's go with this first section that i like to call a little bit uh i'll call it i'll see you down the road and let's talk about that kobe that kobe business there a couple really interesting things that kind of came up uh in my eyes is it starts off jordan's in the locker room pre-game and you know, it's got kind of MJ being MJ and it kind of starts off and you're sort of hearing him and it sounds like he's kind of talking shit, like he's talking trash. And what I found really interesting about it, and I could be wrong is, did you guys feel like that he was insulting the young Kobe at the time? Or let me pause it to you like this. He was saying things like, look at that young, uh, that lone Laker dude out there. He keeps coming. All he wants to do is one-on-one. All he wants to do is play offense. Well, no one's going to pass him the ball if he keeps playing like that. I mean, is he insulting Kobe there or is in some sort of weird way, like Jordan is sort of talking about his 86 self, like the old Michael that when he first came into the league that took no prisoners was an offensive menace. I mean, did you find that to be, was he demeaning to be Kobe or was he kind of slyly sort of like talking trash, but doing it kind of like almost in an admirable way? Mike, you know, um, I think more so than anything to me, I took that as, hey, hey, kid, know your rank. You know, you're, you're going to have to you're going to have to climb the ladder just like I did. Um, but on the same token, you know, I think it's that kind of adage where like nobody's going to give you uh, uh, any mind if you're nothing. So Michael definitely knew that Kobe was something that Kobe was potentially part of this new generation of basketball player that that Kobe ultimately became. And so, you know, the fact that he was kind of pinpointing Kobe and talking about Kobe, it's funny that he just kind of mentioned him as that Laker kid, um, you know, kind of said that, like, no, Jordan was very aware that, like, this guy, if he does it right, he's going to be the next big thing. And, and he was the next big thing. Yeah, Higgs, do you think, you know, based on what we know from the MJ story of the freeze-out game, when he was a rookie in the All-Star game, not getting the ball passed to him by Isaiah, Larry, that's how the story goes – I mean, do you think he saw any of that in Kobe? Like, do you think there was a part of him that was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut this kid up? Or like, or was it more of like, this dude's in the same place that I was a really long time ago, and I can't wait to kick his ass? No, I, I think, yeah, I think he was like, like Charlie was saying, put him in his place. You know, he's the rookie, and he's going to haze him. And, you know, Jordan's super competitive. Do you think he wants this guy coming up and taking his, his spot? No way. Maybe later when Jordan knew he was going to be leaving the game, and then I think he would – that's when – I don't know exactly when he approached Kobe to, you know, give him a call or whatever. But, like, 
you know, Jordan didn't do that with many people. And if he did that to Kobe, then obviously, like you were saying, he, he saw some of himself in Kobe. Yeah, hop back in, Mike. I was just curious. I had a question for you guys. Um, I don't think until recently because of this documentary and then obviously uh, Michael's amazing eulogy to uh, Kobe during his memorial. I don't think I had ever really realized how close they were. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, there are two megastars, so obviously they must have had some sort of relationship. But it was really amazing to me that you really did learn that, like, Kobe, I mean, he literally says, like, my championships wouldn't be possible if it wasn't for Michael Jordan's influence. And again, like, as we heard in the eulogy that Michael gave, like, they really were, like, very tight. So that was, that was actually something that was, you know, uh, very new to me. So I didn't know where you got, uh, I didn't know if that was something that was common knowledge and I just wasn't aware. Or? I think, I think I'm in agreement with you where I think the depth of their relationship was definitely something that I found to be a bit surprising because it wasn't, it wasn't anyone's secret that around what, 2003, 2004, you know, Kobe not only started trying to shoot the the turnaround jumper like like MJ, but he even started like talking like MJ in the exactly. post game. Mm-hmm. He would refer he would refer to games as basketball games. You know what I mean? He would use words like focal points. Like these were words that MJ would you know were in his lexicon constantly, and it really started to seem like he was trying to emulate his game. And man, like how chilling is it that you know throughout this whole documentary, you know. It, it, we're beginning to find out that MJ was conflicted almost on a daily basis about the comings and goings of his career. You know, when, when he wanted to step away, how hard he wanted to keep going, that dual fight between the competitive nature to keep winning and also just completely disappear into the ether and be left alone and have some peace and quiet for once in his life. And during that final season, as we begin to realize that he's exhausted mentally and physically, but he still goes up to Kobe and he goes, I'll see you down the road. And for me, I don't know, I just got like goosebumps. Not only that, like MJ at that time thought, I'm going to keep on playing and I'm going to keep winning championships, but also the perhaps the nod and the tip of the cap to Kobe of like, hey man, I'll see you in the finals someday. And then I'm like, wait a second, an MJ Kobe finals and my head exploded. (laughs) this is like it was just one of those amazing just you know sliding doors i mean not even a sliding doors moment but just that 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 concept that 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 could have happened i guess if if jordan had stuck around for a couple years because what kobe and then one in what 2000 2001 was their first title i think so yeah too much yeah that much yeah somewhere along there i mean i just couldn't even imagine a jordan on his last legs versus a up-and-coming kobe and I love Mike to death, and I think he's the greatest of all time. But, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of – are you guys a little scared? <laughs> One of that Wizards-Lakers uh, matchup, huh? That epic Lakers-Wizard uh, matchup. Oh, who could forget? <laughs> Save your tickets right there. And I just thought all that was actually pretty pretty amazing. And, and uh, you get to hear MJ just kind of, like, hang out with people. And, of course, he's still kind of, like, being a dick. He's kind of being a cock knocker a little bit, you know what I mean, here and there. But just to see him interact with Kobe and – and, and it's really awesome, too, as well, that Kobe completely shuts down the whole am I better than MJ thing, where he's kind of just more saying, like, you know, if you're going to try and, like, they're, they're, we're from the same tree. Like, we're not a different kind of tree. We're just the same. We're the same tree. So what are we, what are we arguing about here? I thought that was, that was especially, like, really cool um, as well for that first part there. And I'll see you down the road. I just can't believe it. Go ahead, Higgs. I thought the, the one thing for me that I thought of when I saw Kobe, I know, you know, a lot of people got emotional because it's, you know, it's pretty jarring. 
to see a brand new interview that you know with Kobe that nobody has seen since you know he's, he's passed away. Um, but I was just thinking for him, just being a huge basketball fan, how much he would have enjoyed watching this series. You know, the, oh yeah, like he was such a fan of the game. He was a student of the game. Jordan was, you know, his big brother. He he was a mm-hmm. fan of the Bulls. Shit, he wanted to come to Chicago at one point and play for the Bulls because he idolized Jordan. And just thinking about how he would make like every Sunday a big deal and have like you know, everybody over in food and just like just loving this series. That's the thing that I thought about. Quick sidebar, and any of you guys following LeBron James's social media following of The Last Dance currently? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Well, let's just say it is less than enthusiastic, and uh, there's some people that are asking questions, but of course that's what everyone does. Everyone picks everything apart. But, I mean, yeah, so far for LeBron James, a guy who worships at the altar of basketball, I guess he's been kind of tweeting, uh, tweeting and posting kind of on the light side in terms of like what he's been watching and how much he's been watching. And the few things that he has posted about is he hasn't posted anything about Michael yet. And after that last episode about him and Isaiah Thomas, he posted a big long thing about defending Isaiah. And like, you know, Isaiah is, you know, the third or fourth best point guard of all time, yada, yada, yada. But he really kind of hasn't given anything up to the GOAT, to MJ yet. And people are kind of sort of asking questions. And I think it pales in contrast to Kobe, who's nothing but referential to Mike. And clearly, like, MJ and Kobe have a different relationship than MJ and LeBron. Do MJ and LeBron even have a relationship? I'm not even sure. Uh, But, yeah, it's been a little icy, a little icy for LBJ. Go ahead, Aaron. No, I was just going to say, you know, going back to, um, you know, us finding out that Kobe and Mike were way deeper than we thought. Who knows? Maybe the same thing is with, with, you know, with Michael and LeBron, but based off of what you said, you know, him not texting or tweeting that much or whatever, maybe, you know, who knows? And <laughs> maybe yeah, Mike yeah, hasn't yeah. taken him under his wing. Maybe he's too busy taking his own notes on his own 10 part documentary and part series, of, making him see like the greatest basketball player of all time when it comes out. And, if he, and if he hasn't mentored LeBron, my guess is because he doesn't have that. He didn't, he doesn't have that motor that Kobe had and that Michael had those two guys are just different than everybody because of their competitiveness, their killer instinct. And LeBron wants to win. He's a great player and all that, but I've been telling people for years, to me, that's why Michael is better than him and Kobe's better than him, just because they're so competitive and they wanted to win at any cost. Yeah, and I think also, Mike, you're going to hop in in a second. I also think that LeBron, to be fair, I think he works as hard as those guys do um, at his game, at keeping his body healthy. But I think it's the mentality, I think, is what you're getting at. Like Kobe and MJ's mentality were yeah. similar, where LeBron's just isn't. It doesn't make it – he still has a – he's still a brilliant mind, right, and a great competitor. But I think it's maybe just not quite on the level of those two. What do you think, Mike? Well, you know, I think obviously with LeBron still being an active player, he is very much still going for the title of GOAT, right? So I think there's obviously, obviously some brand protection on his part. Um, this will always be kind of a back and forth, right? Because I, I think he also kind of wants to be acknowledged as the best of all time, regardless of what he says PR-wise. I think that's his mentality. And let's be honest, I think part of uh, a lot of the speculation of why this um, documentary even finally got greenlit was because the sentiment that Jordan was starting to believe that, okay, all these kids of this generation are thinking LeBron is the all-time greatest. And so I, got an, I have to kind of reassert my legacy back into that. So, I mean, whether or not how much of that is true, um, I, would, I would surely 
think that that's, that was part of his logic into like finally after, you know, 20 plus years saying, let's go ahead and do this. And this is a great segue. You mentioned branding. I also wanted to get into, they kind of go into the ground zero nexus of how Nike became the face of the Air Jordan brand. That's part of the episode. And Adidas and and unbelievable. And let's just start off like this. Don't tell me you didn't because I know you all did. Who wants to talk about their first pair of Jordans? (laughs) Mike, go. Um, When I was in junior high, uh, I told my mom, oh, I, I got to get a pair of Jordans. I got to get a pair of Jordans. Uh, months go by. She comes home with a box. There, it's a box of Jordash shoes. She got me a pair of Jordash shoes. I wore those to school. I was the laughing stock. Everyone's like, you got Jordash shoes? What are Jordash shoes? It was uh, what, one of the greatest uh, uh, Olympic I, losers yeah, of all time. I, I remember that. But, but speaking of moms, real quick, I just want to give a shout out to Dolores Jordan gotta be the mvp she's the one who basically who after michael is like ah, i don't know if i want to even go meet with nike she's like you're gonna go meet with nike you're gonna hear what they have to say and i mean obviously the rest is history so yes yeah, so, listen yeah, to your mom yeah she's she is super sharp right and might i say she looks fantastic for her age like she a, does a, yeah a woman um aaron your first pair of marcole jordashes Okay, guys. So in a couple months, I'm gonna be 44 years old, and to this day, I have never ever owned a pair of Jordans. Really? Never, dude. Nope. I want to scream into this mic so badly <laughs> right now, but we're we're dealing with levels here. You've never owned a pair of Jordans? No, man. I mean, I always wanted one, but my mom was like, "I'm not," you know, she couldn't do it. So I just I never had them. And then when I got older, by the time I could afford Jordans, I was like, didn't really want them anymore. So. Did you yeah. ever own an athlete shoe? Like, did you get like the Tracy McGrady's? Did you ever have the Kobe's? Just oh, no- I had the uh, I had the Bobby Hurley in the zone. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> those and ones, those yeah. and ones. But I mean, right? Like, I think, and partly, I think we'll 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 talk about this a little bit. But like, you know, before Jordans, and even 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 with Jordans now, like, other than Jordans, like, I don't. There's not shoes that you would wear out in public, like casually. Like, you might want, like, you know whatever the the top line basketball shoes for when you're playing ball but like you're not wearing those out like out to the club you're not wearing those out like out in public so it's still to this day like it transcends like shoe shoe culture oh i mean and and it doesn't even touch upon i mean i know they got into gatorade and all that stuff but man dude like i had so my first pair of jordans honestly was it was the only thing i ever wanted in the whole world so i got them in third grade they were the 92 jordans they were the all black with the Jordan, uh, the red Jordan on the side and the top where the ankle bone is. And then it had like a little bit of like a red trim on the bottom. And it was all I wanted. It was the only thing that I got for Christmas. I got no other gifts except for just that. And it was the most amazing thing ever. And honestly, to this day, I still have them at my mom's house in a glass case. My first pair oh. of Jordans is still just sitting in there. Now, obviously, they're all worn and like torn up and everything. How often did you wear them? Oh, every day. Oh, every, they're not resellable. They're just in a glass case for, you know, posterity <laughs> for museum purposes. You know what I mean? Um, but man, like I had the Jordan growth chart. I had the, I had the Jordan, uh, I had the Jordan sleeping bag. Um, Aaron, go ahead. What would you have? Um, out, out of all the things that Jordan endorsed, my favorite thing for sure. And it only happened one time a year. It was usually around playoff time, maybe like March at McDonald's, only in Chicagoland area. My all-time, to this day, my all-time favorite McDonald's burger, the McJordan. <laughs> yeah. McJordan special, man. 
for those of you who don't know, McJordan was a quarter pounder. You, they added bacon, um, barbecue, barbecue sauce, sauce and, and mustard, I think. Yeah, or yeah. Grilled onions or something. And to the, like I said, to this day, that's my favorite burger at McDonald's, McJordan. And they would do a commercial with Cliff Levingston in it. And they all had like on like fedora hats. And it would be like the McJordan special. Mike, hop in. Well, and uh, another thing that's lasted the test of time, as, uh, as my girlfriend, Christina, will uh, uh, attest to, um, probably not very happily, my alarm clock song is still Be Like Mike. So every time <laughs> I wake up to my alarm clock, it's Be Like Mike. No, no joke. To this day, I still use that song as my alarm clock song. You wake up to children in chorus singing like mike 100 100 oh i still got like i still got a jordan watch i mean i'm wearing bull shorts right now i mean uh, the the merchandise was endless and uh there wasn't anything that like you couldn't put his face on the other one too i remember in the episode last night they were showing the the cups of the dream team that you could go to you could go to mcdonald's or a place like that and if you ordered like an extra large you would get the cup and you'd be like, ah, I got Patrick Ewing. Ah, uh, I got to come back two days later and I got to try and get the Barkley, you know what I mean? On and on and on. And um, yeah, just, I mean, a really special place. Of course, I did fall out of the Jordans thing as I got a little bit older because obviously they got a little bit more expensive. Um, but I believe I've owned, I've owned three Jordans in my prime. And then I bought a pair of Jordans that I don't even know what year they're from uh, at Ross's, Ross's Shoes last year for like 28 bucks. And I was like, oh, I'll bring some Jordans back into my life. But um, very special, really cool. And obviously like, I mean, the man made them billions and billions of dollars. I want to hop into that dream team situation a little real quick. And I really I want to talk about that practice, man. I want to talk about that dream team practice. And let's sort of just start the, like in this place where, you know, when we're talking about sports, especially people on podcasts all the time, we're kind of like, we're talking about the moments, you know what I mean? Like, remember when he hit this shot, it kind of became the moment when he took over the league or when, when he won the title or when he did this or whatever happens with a different athlete at a different time. My favorite part of that whole thing is they're standing at the free throw line and MJ just keeps telling Magic, hey, this is the 90s. And Magic's, I know, I know, I know. And MJ just keeps going, uh, yeah, just so you know, uh, this is the 90s. Literally verbally telling him that his decade is over and this is my decade and keep in mind this is in 92 and he's only got two titles at the time because he goes off to win four more and i just think like all time like alpha dog moves just declaring it that it's his decade and your time is over not only through actions but also through words is i think what makes mike such a mythical amazing figure mike hop in well i mean and the bigger context of that too is right. And, and I, it's, it's amazing that these things kind of make you remember things that you totally forgot about, but that, that Olympic dream team year earlier that season was when Magic Johnson announced that he had HIV. So uh, even, um, so like, yeah, like it's kind of all these things that kind of make you realize what, what the greater scenario was at the time. But like, again, as we kind of spoke about earlier, like in, in my opinion of like, well, you know, how many times do we need to see, uh, uh, dream team highlights and well first of all the answer is as many times as we can Always. get that but what what was most intriguing to me was again that i think aaron kind of touched upon it like the practice the practice where you know magic is getting infuriated that like michael is just getting supposedly in his mind all the calls like that's the stuff i love to see because again the whole premise of this is right is the the unseen footage the stuff that we haven't seen and not like kind of the highlight stuff that we 
we've seen year after year. So that that stuff was amazing. Just like when he chucks the ball, when he chucks the ball in stance because he keeps thinking Jordan's getting the calls. That was amazing. Hagel, hey, how much money would you put on the credit card to have been an attendee at this now what is considered perhaps the greatest basketball game that was ever played that was never seen by all the accounts of all the greatest players pretty much of the last 50 years, all saying that this was the greatest practice of all time. How much money would you have thrown down just to be like in the back, like in the back of the rafters watching that? Yeah. As much as Melissa let me spend. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how cool would it be to be a fly on the wall for that practice? I mean, you know, with, even with the players saying that was like the best practice that any of them had ever, or best scrimmage they'd ever had. And, and it had to have been. I mean, you have the all-time what's considered best team going against each other. The only blemish, of course, is putting Christian Leitner on the team. The one collegiate player. They could have had Shaq. But um, – Travesty. My yeah, favorite part but, about My favorite part about that is, is thinking about if it was like – because it looks like it's like in a rec league gym. Like, what if, like, the three of us had kind of, like, swung open the doors, you know, like, we're the 745 game, and they're, like, we're walking in, you know what I mean? And we're dribbling a basketball on the side, and we're, like, we're, like, stretching out our quads, and we're kind of, like, waiting for them to sort of, like, wrap up, you know? It's like, oh, 745's coming up. <laughs> it's basically... Uh, these guys are pretty good. Uh, they're pretty good. What are they? Pretty good. Are they the one, are they the, they the one seed? Oh, no, they're in the upper league? Oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, cool. Well... <laughs> Let's run some more high screen roll tonight, guys. Let's just make sure. Let's really move the ball around. <laughs> it's just kind of watching and sort of standing around. Like that was one of like by far my favorite moments. And we're gonna do a break real quick, but I'm gonna come back and we're gonna do. I didn't make a top five order, but I came up with five of the greatest Chicago Bulls practices of all time. <laughs> and I'm gonna read those off in just a second. But first, we gotta talk about our sponsor. Betting Chicago today is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. No no NBA, no NHL, no MLB. You might think that there's nothing to bet on, but betonline.ag still has hundreds of places to go to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. So what are you waiting for while you're waiting it out at home? You can bet on eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, The Elections, and their 750K poker series. So there's still plenty of fun to be had. American Idol, guys, getting down to the top 10. It's getting tight out there. A lot of bets you can place down on that, so go to betonline.ag. Use the promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, betonline.ag. Use our promo code. Tell us that we sent you there by using MYPOD100 for a welcome bonus on your first deposit. We're back to the pod, so here we go. Here's what I wrote down in no particular order, but the greatest Bulls practices in all-time Chicago Bulls history. So we've got the first one. MJ punches Will Perdue in a practice. Probably looked pretty fun, right? Will Perdue's a tall drink of water. He really had to kind of like reach up there to get it. Maybe got him underneath the chin. Maybe got him in the side of the temple. Jordan punches Steve Kerr. Totally different angle, right? Shorter than him. Probably pounded down on him like a hammer. (laughs) Uh, I've also got uh, the one that we've already seen in the documentary. Doug Collins making MJ switch teams after his team during a scrimmage goes up by eight, made him switch teams to the losing team, which pissed MJ off so bad that he came back and still won that game. Um, I also had the one time Dwayne Wade uh, graced himself with his presence by practicing with the Bulls uh, in his (laughs) final season with the Bulls. Uh, It's just kind of cool to have him out there. Have him cool just practicing for once. Um, The Portis-Miritich fight. Bobby 
Portis punches out Nico Miritich. A lot of action there. A lot of teeth flying around the court. And then who could I forget? The all-time greatest Bulls practice of all time. If I could be there, a fly on the wall. The day Jim Boylan brought the Bulls in after a back-to-back to run gassers all morning. To run ladders. Feeling so good until I heard that name. Hey, guys. Those are Chicago Bulls practices for you. The Dream Team has the greatest practice of all time, the greatest game of all time, and we're three or four of those is people punching people, and then the other one is an aging, crotchety old uh, guy that, that, barely, uh, that barely made it to the court and barely even practiced. And then, you know, Boylan's gassers. Mike, go ahead. I mean, uh, we have to add probably as well Jordan's first practice on the, that, that his, his Bulls team, right? Because, like, at that time, what is it like Orlando Woolridge and Reggie Theus? So that's you know, good. Got to believe, right? Like when when they saw Jordan practice for the first time, they're like, "Yeah, we're not the best players on this team anymore," you know. So like that first practice must have been an eye opener as well. So the next point that I want to get to is another amazing quotable, and I'm just calling this section "Tickets from God." And for those of you that didn't watch the the episode, you should instead of listening to the pod, you watch that first and then listen to the pod. But basically, it's the 97-98 Bulls, the the hottest ticket in town, to the point where even the own Bulls players can't get tickets for their friends and family on a regular basis. So the guy, 8th, 9th, 10th guy off the bench, Randy Brown, comes in to the back where Jordan's hanging out, looking for tickets. Jordan doesn't say anything, just kind of holds up two tickets, and Randy Brown takes them. And he goes, I don't care where they're sitting. As long as they're in the building, they could be next to God. And MJ goes, next to who? And he goes... I don't even care if the tickets are next to God. And MJ goes, well, that's just who gave them to you. <laughs> and I thought that was amazing. And I'm sorry. I don't think that was arrogant at all. I thought that was actually a really funny line. And then just to see kind of Jordan have that sort of like camaraderie off the field, like off the court, like, like, I don't know. I don't think he's being a dick there. I just think he's kind of being funny. And these are the moments that I've been waiting for this entire time watching this documentary. Michael being a normal person, yet ultra competitive, ultra ball busting but with his teammates like you know still being a cool guy like i i mean does the dude the dude seems so like tunnel vision but he never really gets too high or too low he's just always kind of busting balls and just kind of moving it i I think he's just smooth and that was kind of one of my favorite parts that back room is one of my favorite parts of that documentary right now yeah i thought for for me like watching the whole ticket part was stressful like, I didn't, I guess I never even really thought about that for like a professional athlete, especially if you're playing in your hometown or maybe there's a lot of people in town or whatever the case may be, to be worried about that before a game, other than being worried about your opponent, about getting tickets to people. And especially during that particular season, you know, Randy Brown might have had 10 people asking for tickets. He can't get two. And he's stressed out. Mike helps him out, you know, but it's just like, wow, I, I never even really crossed my mind how stressful that would be family's got to be paging him too right they got to be paging randy brown this isn't a cell phone situation quite yet like they're just bothering him just buzzing and buzzing him over and over and over again and it got to the point where obviously randy was like well i gotta go to mike (laughs) i gotta go to god (laughs) and basically figure it out i mean i just think like i just think it's moments like that that really are just like are just blowing my mind about i don't know i just think jordan's cool about it but in like the same way you know what i mean like at the same time he just holds like a particular authority and uh 
And that authority obviously was held over Clyde Drexler and Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and Reggie Miller and Gary Payton. You know what I mean? On and on and on, like throughout the rest of his career. Mike, go for it. Well, yeah, because exactly. Those are the moments that make this documentary so impactful to me because it's Jordan not worried about brand protection. It's just him being human, him being a teammate, him being, yeah, like you said, like I, you know, this whole idea that like, oh, we're going to see the ugly side of Jordan. I mean, I, you know, d- does he, does he give people a hard time? Sure. But we all give people a hard time, especially like in a sports context. I, there's nothing that's made me gone as of yet. God, this guy is an asshole. You know, it's like everything is, is, is very much like, yeah, this is how, you know, this is how, you know, teammates kind of like mess around with, with one another. And it's refreshing to see that without like, under this context of like, hey, you know, I'm, I got to be cognizant of my image and what I want to portray to the public. And that's an amazing point, right? Because in our modern society now where everyone's, you know, Instagram feed is like their perfect life or whatever. Everything being put out there is always like the best version of themselves to categorize this as the, and of course things could obviously change because we're only at episode five right, five right now. But as things stands right now, the ugly side of Jordan is the human funny side of Jordan, of him giving people a hard time, of him. He swears. When, yeah, when he's yelling at people on the court and giving people hell, like, I'm sorry, like he's kind of the boss and he was kind of right and they won championships because they, that he pushed them in that sort of way and it's not like anyone like wrote a grievance to the league, like they all got their championship rings, like they all got their glory out of it, so there really hasn't been anything that I've seen that's been egregiously, you know, uh, him being a horrible person, I just think he's just being a human being for the first time and I find it to be amazing. Aaron, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, it's kind of promised with, with this whole thing was this, you know, exclusive footage and, and they've shown that, but you have to kind of take everything with a grain of salt because Michael is one of the co-producers on this and he had final say. So he's not going to put anything in there that's too damaging. I guess it's cool that he's putting some stuff in there of him, you know, being just like a normal dude, kind of being a dick sometimes. So I agree with you guys on one hand, on the other hand, you know, like I said, he, when you have final say, you're not going to put anything too, too bad in there. It'd be interesting to see what other people say about Michael if he had not produced the documentary. That's very true. And I also hold him in high reverence. And I've just been dying to see really anything about his character that doesn't have to do, that isn't on a DVD or on some sort of promotion. So to get really anything, I'm sort of, I'm maybe like molding the narrative a little bit to kind of sort of fit my own thing. But honestly, man, like I don't really see anything about the way that he treats and talks to people that I find to be like really crossing any particular line at this point. And you're right. They could be cutting some of that stuff out of there, but even the stuff that they are showing, I don't really think as much teeth as everyone's making it out to be. Besides Krause, that's the only stuff I'm not like too big on, you know, him like making all the short jokes and stuff, you know, but it's in there. So well, and him like kind of stalking Jerry Krause's uh, list of people that he likes in his life. And then putting those people that Jerry Krause likes in his life under the people that he's going to shit on in his life. Uh, yeah, like I heard from a friend that Jerry Krause likes Dan Marley. So I just went out and decided to try and end his career. You know what I mean? Like It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty crazy. Uh, we're going to wrap up with episode five of it in a second. But Mike, hop in real quick with a couple more thoughts. 
No, Aaron nailed it on the head. You know, there has to be some uh, a level of scrutiny when when the person that this documentary series is about is also, you know, uh, part of the brain trust that is kind of making the content uh, approved or not. So, um, you know, I, I think it's very clear that this documentary is is it's told from the lens of Michael Jordan. They're bringing up points like obviously they grazed over like in this episode the whole Isaiah Thomas getting blacklisted from the dream team and so forth. They kind of you know they mentioned it in terms of like his role as an activist or not and the whole you know Harvey Gantt situation. Um, but like overall like it's still told from Michael's point of view. So it's like hey we're going to talk about these issues but ultimately it's Michael who's going to say uh, what his take was on those issues. Very well said. So I think that's going to do it for episode five. You guys, if you like what you're listening to right here on the Believe in Betting Chicago, just click right above you because we're about to do episode six right now. I think we're going to talk about Slim Buller. I think we're going to talk about Horace Grant, the leak, question mark. Um, the toll that all this winning and all the scrutiny and all the attentions being taken on Jordan's career, whether that led to him retire, whether it was the gambling, what was really going on there. And also just some of the physical, physical teams that he went through during his career, all that more coming up in episode six. This was episode five of the last dance right here on believe in betting Chicago. My name is Joe Christopoulos. The episode is brought to you by betonline.ag with my beautiful hosts and my great friends, Mike Choi and Aaron Hagel. If you like this, stick around and just click right above you. Cause we're coming right back. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.